Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. New from number one international best-selling author Wilbur Smith, Desert God, a novel of ancient Egypt. When an Egyptian slave and advisor to the pharaoh is put to the test, he finds himself at the center of a vortex of passion, intrigue, and danger. A quest to destroy an army and form an alliance takes him on an epic journey up the Nile, through Arabia, into the magical city of Babylon, and across the open seas. With death lingering on the edges of darkness, Stephen King calls Wilbur Smith the best historical novelist. Desert God, a novel of ancient Egypt by Wilbur Smith, available wherever books are sold. You want the company to remove all the flooring. Every single board at their cost and replace it with clean flooring. He's talking about Lumber Liquidators, America's largest retailer of hardwood flooring and the subject of a 60 Minutes investigation. After we got a tip, the company's Chinese-made laminate flooring contained unsafe levels of a cancer-causing chemical. It was so high, in fact, that one of our test labs thought their machine was broken. The lab itself thought... It hit the upper limit of the radar gun, and they thought it was broken. The $500 million National Museum of African American History and Culture is rising on the National Mall. The complexion will be rendered in shades of bronze, a building of color against history's white marble. This is not the museum of tragedy. It is not the museum of difficult moments. It is the museum that says, here is a balanced history of America that allows us to cry and smile. I've done close to 150 expeditions, and as I look back upon my history, the most important discoveries were the ones that I didn't know were there. Bob Ballard discovered the Titanic in 1985 
And as you'll see tonight, he hasn't stopped exploring. Oh, I love that. When you're operating 2,000 feet beneath the sea, you never know what you'll find. Or what will find you. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Lara Logan. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. 90%. That's the percent of your life that you're in your underwear. And underwear gets old fast. You know that feeling of putting on old saggy underwear. Now you need to know the feeling of great fitting underwear that is two times softer than cotton. You need to know about MeUndies.com. MeUndies has the most comfortable underwear you will ever try on. And it's insane how good they make you feel. They fit perfectly, they don't ride up on you, and they literally pull moisture away from your skin so you stay cool. But they also make you look great. Go to MeUndies.com and check out the photography. And for the girls, check out those smoking hot boy shorts. But you have to try them on for yourself. This quality would typically retail for two times the MeUndies price. No retail middleman means more savings for you. Here, we'll make it easy. Go to MeUndies.com 60 and get 20% off your first order and low flat rate international shipping. Save even more when you buy a pack of them. They guarantee you're going to be happy with them or your first pair is free. Once you feel MeUndies on your body, you're never going back. And MeUndies isn't just for you guys. They just launched their All of Me Women's Collection, a four-piece line of undies designed specifically for the female body in all of its complex, gorgeous-as-hell glory. But to get that 20% off, you have to go to MeUndies.com 60. That's MeUndies.com slash S-I-X-T-Y. Lumber Liquidators is the largest retailer of hardwood flooring in North America, with over 360 stores in 46 states and revenue of more than a billion dollars a year. But hardwood isn't the only product they sell. More than 100 million square feet of the company's cheaper laminate flooring is installed in American homes every year. Lumber Liquidators is a U.S. company, but much of its laminate flooring was made in China. And as we discovered when we first reported this story in March, it may fail to meet health and safety standards because it contains high levels of formaldehyde a known cancer-causing chemical. Lumber Liquidators has insisted ever since our report that its Chinese-made laminate flooring is safe. But it doesn't appear that way based on what we learned from our own reporting and from the work of people like Denny Larson. You want the company to remove all the flooring? Every single board at their cost and replace it with clean flooring. How much is that going to cost? You know what? I don't care. Because they're guilty of selling people product that can make them sick. These worried California homeowners who didn't want to be identified aren't waiting for lumber liquidators. They're ripping up their floors now, but many can't afford to replace the flooring on their own. They don't know what to do. They have flooring that they think is making them sick. California environmental activist Denny Larson teamed up with Richard Drury, a prominent environmental attorney, to test lumber liquidators' Chinese-made laminate flooring. Do you have any idea how much of this wood has been people's homes right now? We believe there are probably tens of thousands of households in California that have installed lumber liquidators' Chinese laminate that may exceed the formaldehyde standards. Nationwide? Nationwide, it's probably hundreds of thousands. Drury and Larson bought more than 150 boxes of laminate flooring at stores around California and sent them to three certified labs for a series of tests. The results? 
while laminate flooring from Home Depot and Lowe's had acceptable levels of formaldehyde, as did lumber liquidators' American-made laminates. Every single sample of Chinese-made laminate flooring from lumber liquidators failed to meet California formaldehyde emission standards, many by a large margin. The average level in lumber liquidators' products that we found was over six to seven times above the state standard for formaldehyde. And we found some that were close to 20 times above the level that's allowed to be sold. It sounds like a huge amount. It's a startling amount. It was so high, in fact, that one of our test labs thought their machine was broken. The lab itself thought... It hit the upper limit of the radar gun, and they thought it was broken. But it's not a safe level. It's a level that the um, U.S. EPA calls polluted indoor conditions. Would you want that in your home? No. Dr. Philip Landrigan of New York's Mount Sinai Hospital specializes in environmental pediatrics and exposure to toxic chemicals. He's talking about the results of another kind of test Drury and Larson conducted, measuring the concentration of formaldehyde emissions coming off the laminates into the air of a typical home. I would say long-term exposure at that level would be risky because it would increase the risk for chronic respiratory irritation, change in a person's lung function, increased risk of asthma. It is not going to produce symptoms in everybody, but children will be the people most likely to show symptoms at that sort of level. Children are featured prominently in lumber liquidators' ads, and the company likes to promote the donations of flooring they make to Habitat for Humanity, Ronald McDonald House Charities, schools, and community centers. Trust the people over 2 million families trust. The flooring experts at Lumber Liquidators. And on their website, Lumber Liquidators promises that all of their flooring meets or exceeds rigorous emission standards. And they say, we not only comply with laws, we exceed them. Is that true? That is not a true statement. Is it legal to sell these boxes of wood in California? No, it is not. It is illegal to sell these boxes of wood in California. We hope that they will not sell these products anywhere in in the nation because they are above the health-based standards that the state has set. Drury and Larson, who are backed by short sellers, a group of Wall Street investors who are betting the company is overvalued, have sued lumber liquidators, accusing them of violating California's toxic warning statute. Drury has also launched a class-action lawsuit against the company. It is legal for flooring to contain formaldehyde. The chemical is present in some of the cheap glues used in factories like this one in China. This footage was recorded by investigators hired by 60 Minutes. Formaldehyde is in the glues used to bind wood particles together to make the core boards and laminate flooring. The laminated top, which covers the core board, keeps most of the formaldehyde emissions trapped inside. But formaldehyde does leak into the air. How much is inhaled by homeowners depends on how much formaldehyde is in the glue and how much ventilation is in the home. You're in a chamber, so you're living with it. You're sleeping in there, and uh, you're constantly exposed. That's the threat, the constant exposure to a potent carcinogen over a long period of time. Because formaldehyde can cause myeloid leukemia and nasopharyngeal cancer at high levels and respiratory issues, as well as eye, nose, and throat irritation at even low levels, California has strict standards for how much of the chemical the core boards and laminate flooring can emit. Every box of laminate flooring Lumber Liquidator sells carries this label, stating it's CARB Phase 2 compliant. CARB is an acronym for the California Air Resources Board, which sets strict standards for formaldehyde emissions in wood flooring. 
Congress adopted California's limits when it passed the Formaldehyde Standards Act in 2010. That law is scheduled to take effect nationwide this year. Drury and Larson only had wood tested that was being sold in California. But we wondered if the Chinese-made laminate flooring that Lumber Liquidators is selling nationwide also has high levels of formaldehyde. So we went to stores in Virginia, Florida, Texas, Illinois, and New York and bought 31 boxes of it. We sent the samples for testing at two certified labs. It turns out, of the 31 samples of Chinese-made laminate flooring, only one was compliant with formaldehyde emission standards. Some were more than 13 times over the California limit. Both labs told us they'd never seen formaldehyde levels that high. But when we took those test results to Lumber Liquidator's founder and chairman, Tom Sullivan, he refused to accept the methodology as valid and points out the company is not required by law to test their finished products like we did. It's not a real-world test of the laminate. It's, it's not the way it's used. You say you don't believe in this test, but what you believe doesn't really matter. What, it's what California Resources Board believes, and no. they believe in this test. Yeah, we will do whatever the regulations are. I just don't understand how a group can do a test on your Chinese-made laminates, and every single one of those failed to meet the emission standard. Well, I mean, people have different reasons for this test. This is a group of lawyers who are suing us selling short on our stock. But it's the short sellers are not conducting the tests. It's these well, certified no, it labs. Well, with short sellers. One of the first people to raise questions about lumber liquidators back in 2013 was Whitney Tilson, a Wall Street hedge fund manager. He has shorted the company's stock, but is not involved in any lawsuits against it. In 16 years of professional money management, I've seen hundreds of companies do all sorts of bad things uh, to get their stock prices up. Um, but this has got to be the worst. Whitney Tilson studies the workings of companies he's interested in investing in. And he noticed the profit margins at lumber liquidators seemed unusually high compared to its competitors. When you see a, a commodity business you know, suddenly double its profit margins, that raises red flags. Because it's it's hard to have your profit margin double in two years. Exactly. It's almost unprecedented for a company. Based on those profits, Lumber Liquidator's stock price had gone from $13 a share in 2011 to $119 in 2013. Tilson suspected the company might be breaking the law. He learned there was already a federal investigation looking into the company for allegedly buying timber illegally logged in Russia. U.S. agents raided Lumber Liquidator's headquarters in September of 2013. The company denies buying illegally logged wood, but admits the Department of Justice is seeking criminal charges against them. Six months after he bet millions the stock would go down, Whitney Tilson got tipped off by someone familiar with lumber liquidators operations in China, who said he was missing the bigger story. The much bigger story, he said, is, is that lumber liquidators was almost certainly uh, purchasing formaldehyde-tainted um, laminated flooring uh, in China. Why would lumber liquidators purchase wood that's tainted with formaldehyde? The answer is, is greed, plain and simple. It's cheaper, and net-net, it reduces the cost by about 10%. Which, in a business with these kind of profit margins, 10% means it's a lot a, of money. It's enormous. Our goal is to sell a good product at a good price, and we don't get the price by skimping on anything. We get the price by low overhead, huge volume, and being very efficient at what we do. We're never going to sell something unsafe. Do you trust your mills in China? We do. We, we have inspectors to double-check them. 
I mean, the, the mills are licensed by California. The Chinese mills we deal with in the laminates are licensed by California. And we, our when you say it's licensed by California, what that really means is California says this mill is capable of making CARB-2 compliant product. California is not saying every, piece of, every product coming out of this mill is CARB-2 compliant. But our specs are to make it to California standards. But for months, we've been hearing from former lumber liquidators' employees, suppliers, and industry competitors that their Chinese-made laminates are not being made to California standards. So we sent our investigators undercover to the city of Changzhou, the laminate flooring capital of the world. Posing as buyers and using hidden cameras, the investigators visited three different mills that manufacture laminates for lumber liquidators. Employees at the mills openly admitted that they use core boards with higher levels of formaldehyde to make lumber liquidators laminates, saving the company 10 to 15 percent on the price. At all three mills, they also admitted falsely labeling the company's laminate flooring as CARB-2, meaning it meets California formaldehyde emission standards and the new U.S. federal law. At this factory, the general manager told investigators Lumber Liquidators is one of their biggest customers. This is the best seller for uh, lumber. For is lumber liquidators? Yeah. This is, yeah this is, how long have you been selling this? It's from last year. Is this CARB 2? CARB 2 means it's compliant with California law. But listen to what the general manager told us. No, no, no. So is it? I should be honest with you, not CARB 2. Oh, okay. Can I get this cup too? Yes, you can. Just the price issue. We can make cup too, but it'll be very expensive. And that's the same thing the undercover team was told at all three mills they visited. All this stuff here, lumber liquidators, all their labeling is cup too, right? Yeah. But it's not cup too? Not cup too. Remember, lumber liquidators founder and chairman Tom Sullivan says he trusts the Chinese mills his company uses. Employees at all three mills told us the laminates they make for you are not CARP-2 compliant. I want you to look at this. We shared some of our hidden camera footage with him. Is this CARP-2? No, no, no. So is I it... I should be honest with you, not CARP-2. I don't know the whole situation here. I will guarantee we'll be in that mill tomorrow and test it. And that is not anything we can condone in any way to save a cent. So this concerns you? Yeah, yeah. Course. Is this acceptable to you? If it's true, no. All three mills told us they falsely label your products as CARB-2 compliant. That's cheating. That would be if that's true. Nobody's ever reported this to you? Again, we will investigate it. If, if there is anything going on, we will stop it immediately. I, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know what the whole story is, but we will investigate immediately. It certainly calls into question not just these mills, but it calls into question your oversight of these mills. It could, yes. Two months after we first broadcast this story, Lumber Liquidators pulled all its Chinese-made laminate flooring from the market nationwide. Also since then, the chief executive officer resigned, and the chief financial officer was replaced. The chief merchandising officer, who was in charge of sourcing from China, was fired. Multiple state and federal investigations are underway, by agencies including the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the California Air Resources Board, and the Department of Justice. This past week, a spokesman for the company said, Lumber Liquidators has taken and continues to take significant steps to investigate these issues and reassure our customers. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 400 years have passed since America's original sin, and still, riots are ignited in the friction between race and justice. As this debate continues, the Smithsonian is completing a monumental project, the $500 million National Museum of African American History and Culture. The idea was authorized by an act of Congress which called it, quote, a tribute to the Negro's contribution to the achievements of America. The words are jarring because the act was written in 1929. As we first told you last spring, building this museum has been a long struggle, just like the story it hopes to tell. Beside the monument to Washington, a slaveholding president, the museum is breaking free of the ground on the mall's last five acres. Eight decades after Congress framed the museum on paper and then failed to fund it, the dream is being written this time in steel and stone. Ten floors, five above ground, five below. Its complexion rendered in shades of bronze, a building of color against history's white marble. You've been at this nine years now. It's a big job. (laughs) Well, as I tell people, at 8 o'clock in the morning, I have the best job in America. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. This is a Romare Bearden from the 1950s. Sleepless nights are all in a day's work for the museum's founding director, Lonnie Bunch, a scholar of the 19th century. Clearly, this ought to be one of those moments where people are going to sort of reflect, pause. What does it mean once we open? What does it mean in terms of development opportunities? In 2003, President Bush signed the law creating the museum. Congress put up $250 million, and Bunch has raised most of another 250 I knew that this is where this museum would have to be, that this is America's front lawn, and this is the place where people come to learn what it means to be an American, and this museum needs to be there. So we're on the ground floor. This is where the visitors will come in. This will be their first experience in the museum. So what's going to be here? They will walk in either from the mall or from Constitution Avenue, and they will run into amazing pieces of African-American art. When all of this is finally complete, what will America have? America will have a place that allows them to remember to remember how much we as a country have been improved, changed, challenged, and made better by the African-American experience. They'll have a place that they can call home, but they'll also have a place that will make them change. But even this place is only space until you fill it. Oh, my goodness. Now, did somebody already look at some of these things? No. Seven years ago, the Smithsonian began rummaging the attics and basements of America. This may have marked a milestone in his life, and what we don't know is what that was. But at least it gives me something that I can investigate. 3,000 people brought their family history to 16 Smithsonian events across the country. And this is an early free black family based out of Baltimore? It sounds like Antiques Roadshow. It is is like like Antiques Roadshow. Mm -hmm. Mary Elliott and Nancy Burkaw are curators. We have experts from across the museum field, experts in conservation, experts who understand about paper, about metals, about you name it. 
fabrics, textiles, and they come in and they review objects for the public. The coating on this is in pretty good condition. Some of that looks like it's dried out a little bit. And don't, so don't put it near the air conditioning unit because that'll dry it up too much. How do you convince someone to give up a priceless family heirloom? Do you know what? Our museum pitches itself. All we have to do is tell the absolute honest truth. People have been waiting for us. People in America have been waiting for this moment. And so literally they just hand us things. And we're very excited like you are. Thousands of relics were examined, but only 25 will be in the collection. This is one of them. This was actually a connection we made with the family. Mr. Jesse Burke was an enslaved man, and he was charged with playing this violin and entertaining the slaveholder and his guests. This is the Smithsonian's warehouse in Maryland where the story is being written, and these are a few of the lines. Received by Grigsby E. Thomas, the sum of $350 in full payment for a Negro boy by the name of Jim, about 10 years old. This 31st day of December, 1835. Jim would have been familiar with these, shackles dating before 1860, bondage that might have been broken if the keeper of this Bible had succeeded in his bloody rebellion. Nat Turner had said that God commanded him to break the chains. His Bible was taken away before his execution. Paul Gardulo is a leader of the curating team. I think many of us who know the story of slavery know about Nat Turner know about Nat Turner from the perspective of perhaps a freedom fighter, perhaps a murderer. Well, we know this is a religious person. We know this is a person who can read. And when you begin with that and those ideas, suddenly the person of Nat Turner and your understandings of Nat Turner take on a whole new light. And I look to do that again and again, ways that we can see well-worn stories, stories we think we know, and a new light. You may think you know the story of a boy murdered for whistling at a white woman until you're confronted with his casket. The story of Emmett Till is a crucially important story in terms of what it tells us both about sort of reinvigorating the civil rights movement, but also it's a story of his mother, Mamie Mobley, who was really one of the most powerful people who said that her son's murder should not be in vain, that it should help to transform America. No one was punished for the murder of Emmett Till. His body was exhumed in a later investigation and the original casket was neglected. But then the question was, would we ever display it? Should we ever display it? And I wrestled a lot with it, but then I realized I kept hearing Mamie Mobley in my, in my head. And she said, I opened this casket to change the world, to make the world confront the dangers, the power, the ugliness of race in America. A lot of the things that you intend to put on display are going to be hard to look at. What I'm trying to do is find the right tension between moments of sadness and moments of resilience. One resilient moment came out of the blue. Air Force Captain Matt Kwai and his wife Tina rebuilt an old crop duster and, in curiosity, they sent the serial number to an Air Force historian. 
And he said, are you sitting down? Because I have some news for you. Turned out the 1944 Stearman had trained America's first black squadrons, the Tuskegee Airmen, who flew to fame in World War II. I had never really known much about the Tuskegee Airmen. I'd seen the P-51 plane, but I'd never really truly understood what it meant. Take your time. Before donating the plane, known as a PT-13, the Quais carried the last of the airmen back to the air. And it was just great to sit back in the back seat and look at this real Tuskegee Airmen in a real Tuskegee airplane. It was just magical. Greatest thrill in my life was sitting in the seat where you are and watching the ground drop off of under it. The PT-13 was the baby we used to learn how to fly. The Smithsonian collected the thoughts of Lieutenant Colonel Leo Gray in 2010. They said we couldn't fly, but we had the best record of any fighter group in the 15th Air Force and probably in the Air Force itself. We stayed with our bombers, we brought them home as best we could, and we proved that we could fly. Time is the enemy of history, so Smithsonian conservationists have been working for years restoring America's heritage, from textiles to trains. This 1920 rail car had two sections, white and colored, the same number of seats, but colored was compressed in half the space. Physical, touchable, Jim Crow confinement, just like the guard tower from the prison in Angola, Louisiana, notorious for cruelty. It's about 21 feet tall, and this is cast concrete, so it's an enormous object. From monumental to minuscule, Carlos Bustamante is the project manager building a place for 33,000 moments in time. So when you had the rail car, the rail car pieces, the guard tower, and all the support equipment. We had a convoy of about 12 semi-trucks traveling down the road across six states to get here. And it took them about three days. How do you get those things into this building? So we set up two very, very large cranes. These cranes are, are rare. There's not a lot of them this size. And we picked up these two objects and basically brought them over the site and lowered them down about 60 feet below grade. The answer is you don't move these objects into the building. You put these objects in place and you build the building around them. Exactly. There's no other way. Oftentimes what I'm drawn to are some of the smaller things, shards of glass that were picked up after the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's finding the balance between the big and the small, Scott, that makes this work a challenge and so wonderful. What is something that you desperately want and have <laughs> not been able to find? I want Willie Mays' mitt. <laughs> Which would be quite a catch to display along with Louis Armstrong's horn and Chuck Berry's horn behind the chrome of his 73 Cadillac. There's the welcome of Minton's Playhouse, which resonated to Miles, Monk, and Dizzy. Ali's headgear, pristine condition. And this fireman's headgear, a revolutionary invention in 1914 by mechanical genius Garrett Morgan. 
Do you think the country's ready for this now? I don't think America's ever ready to have the conversation around race based on what we see around the landscape, whether it's Ferguson or other places, that people are really ready to shine the light on all the dark corners of the American experience. But I hope this museum will help in a small way to do that. This is not the American Museum of Slavery. This is not the museum of tragedy. It is not the museum of difficult moments. It is the museum that says, here is a balanced history of America that allows us to cry and smile. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Robert Ballard has embarked on a new wave of American exploration, inspired by the epic journey of Lewis and Clark more than 200 years ago. This time, it's not over land, but in a part of the country that lies in the deep sea. You may know Ballard as the man who found the Titanic. We first spent time with him a few years ago, when he took us on a search for ancient shipwrecks in the Aegean Sea. But at the age of 73, he's changed course and come home. Why? Because the U.S. has jurisdiction over more ocean than any other country on Earth. And beneath the waves lies trillions of dollars in untapped natural resources. And as we saw on our journey, a wealth of American history. As we first reported in May, Robert Ballard calls it the Unknown America. We joined him about a hundred miles off the coast of Mississippi in the Gulf of Mexico. If you ask someone, how much of the United States do you think lies beneath the sea? They may say 5% or 10%. And when you tell them that half of their country lies beneath the sea and is unexplored, they, they don't believe you. Does it have a special meaning for you because it's home? Yeah. I'm 13th generation American. I love my country. And I served in the Army, I served in the Navy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Boy Scout. Yeah. Bob Ballard's Unknown America stretches out to 200 nautical miles from all our coasts. This vast undersea area is called the U.S. Exclusive Economic Zone, and the United States has sovereign rights over all the natural resources that lie there, like this methane gas Ballard filmed bubbling up from the sea floor off the coast of Louisiana. Ooh, look at that. The zone was established by President Ronald Reagan in 1983, and few realized that it more than doubled the area within America's boundaries. Reagan may have signed a sheet of paper, but he did not follow it up with a modern-day version of a Lewis and Clark expedition to actually find out what we own. And that's what you're doing? That's what we're doing. With technology not fathomable during President Reagan's time, Ballard is exploring and mapping as much of these waters as he can aboard the Nautilus, this 200-foot state-of-the-art ship of exploration. I mean, you can't manage something until you know what you got. So before you can exploit, you explore. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're trying to get a fundamental understanding of what we own. We also have mapping cameras. His remotely operated vehicles can go down more than 13,000 feet. Hercules is armed with an array of cameras. Ballad's eyes under the sea. Argus hovers above. 
lighting up the depths with its powerful floodlights. Keep going, keep going. On our first day at sea, Ballard's team was on a mission for archaeologists with the U.S. government. <laughs> How far away? 40 meters, 100 and some feet. And we're creeping up because we don't know what we're walking into. Going down a dark alley. He had been given the coordinates for a mysterious object that had been picked up on sonar by Shell Oil. And he was asked to find out what it was. What do you think it could be? It's a ship. It is definitely. Oh, yeah, look at it. It's a ship. It's a question of whose ship and what ship. And it's a big one. It's a big ship. There it is. There we have it. We have visual. Out of the darkness, nearly 8,000 feet oh, wow. below, a tangled web of cables and rope. It was an enormous ship, nearly two football fields in length. Oh, it's in pretty good shape. I know. It's like My it gosh. just landed there. Ballard searched the ghostly site for clues. There's an H-E. See that H-E? It's like battle ribbons or something. I'm interested that all the windows are battened down. See all those windows? Mm -hmm. They prepared it. You don't have time in a disaster to do that. Was this something sunk purposely? We're going to find out. It's fascinating trying yeah. to unravel the mystery of it. Isn't it fun? Yeah. yeah. Bob Ballard has been unraveling deep-sea mysteries for 55 years, and none better known than the Titanic, which he found in 1985 after others had tried and failed. And then you see Neil Armstrong. We asked him to show us around the Explorers Club in New York City, where he's honored as one of the greatest explorers of the past century. And he told us he's committed the rest of his life to searching America's seas. What is down there that you think you're going to find? I've done close to 150 expeditions, and as I look back upon my history... The most important discoveries were the ones that I didn't know were there. I can only tell you that we've looked at so little, there has to be huge new discoveries still waiting for us. Part of what inspired his American exploration is what he calls the battlefields of the deep. So right now we're in the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. Beneath us is a World War II battlefield. Yep. Most people don't realize that during World War II, German U-boats were right where we're sitting right now, sinking American ships. And lots of Americans were dying. 56 Allied ships were lost to the Nazis in the Gulf of Mexico, part of a campaign Hitler called Operation Drumbeat. He celebrated Germany's U-boat victories in wartime propaganda films like this one. Okay, uh, dead ahead. Get ready for a big baby. One of those lost was an American passenger ship, the Robert E. Lee. And there she was, appearing slowly out of the gloom. This is what she used to look like in one of the few surviving photographs taken just months before she was hit by a single torpedo in July 1942. She went down by the stern in about 10 minutes, taking 25 people with her and came to rest nearly 5,000 feet below. There you can see the decks and the passageways. Now you can really see that. 72 years later, her windows were still intact, a bell still hanging in place, her gun still mounted to the stern. This is an underwater national park, just like a Civil War battlefield, just like going to Pearl Harbor, or just a little deeper. 
What's remarkable is that the Robert E. Lee shares her watery grave with the U-boat that sank her, the U-166, seen here during sea trials in this old German film. Now she lies under 5,000 feet of water. For decades, no one knew these wrecks were just a few miles apart, until BP and Shell Oil conducted a pipeline survey here in 2001. How many people died on here? The whole crew. Their bodies are still inside? They're still inside. That's a tomb. Bob Ballard's mission was to try to film both wrecks in ways they hadn't been seen before. So now you just go straight up and on like you're going to crawl up onto the deck. Look at that beautiful reveal. Now move. Oh, I love that. As luck would have it, the seas were calm, and the images he captured are considered some of the clearest views of these sites. They are featured in a Nova National Geographic documentary. That's really cool. Bob Ballard is not alone in his American adventure. His ship, the Nautilus, has joined forces with the Oceanus Explorer, operated by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They're the only two official ships of exploration that the federal government has. I'd like to have 20, <laughs> but I'll go for two. It's better than zero, which was just a few years ago. Both the Nautilus and the Oceanus Explorer are mapping the sea floor using multi-beam sonar attached to their hulls. A capability so powerful, it used to be classified during the Cold War. How important is mapping to you and what the Nautilus is doing? People think, well, the, the ocean's a big bathtub full of mud. Well, the largest mountain ranges on Earth are under the ocean. There are canyons down there that make the Grand Canyon look like a ditch. The biggest features on our planet are beneath the sea. Ballard works closely with Larry Mayer, the director of the Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping at the University of New Hampshire, a world leader in creating 3D maps based on multi-beam data. Our goal is to get the whole ocean mapped at this. To look like that. To look like that. Really, it's, we can do it. We, we've done it for the moon, we've done it for Mars. Let's, let's do it for our own planet. This is what the seafloor looks like with multi-beam data, just 90 miles from New York City. You can see the Hudson Canyon with walls 3,000 feet high. And here you're looking at the New England seamounts, far off the coast of Massachusetts some rising 10,000 feet from the bottom of the ocean. Let's turn off the, the multi-beam data and just see what those mountains look like without the multi-beam data. Sure, look that, at that. That's all you'd see. That the, Yes, there was a bump. It would probably close to getting the right height, but the difference is just something when we, we see what the multi-beam sonar adds. And what do you gain from this knowledge? It's giving us a, an insight. It's like lifting a veil. Uh, you know, the, the, all we've seen is the top of the water. Now we can see what's going on under, underneath. That's a whole batch of them right there. Bob Ballard always travels with a team of scientists, and on our trip they'd come to take samples of the mussels living around this brine pool, an underwater lake with its own shoreline. With no sunlight and almost no food at this depth, the mussels have learned to live off methane gas, rising up from below. And we want to understand, how do they do that? And can we isolate them and use them? It's amazing what these organisms are processing and, and, and thriving in. So when you look at that, do you think about all the secrets that they're holding that we haven't unlocked yet? Exactly. What, how do you do this, and can we turn it to our advantage? Ballard's team on the Nautilus explores for about six months a year, 
sailing with a crew of 50. And everything they do is shared in real time on the internet. Awesome. <laughs> Which is how this rare encounter with a sperm whale, nearly 2,000 feet down in the Gulf of Mexico, was seen around the world. Oh, beautiful. Whoa. Wow. Holy cow. Wow. Scientists had been sampling seawater near the site of the BP oil spill when this curious juvenile male circled Hercules for 15 minutes. Scientists don't normally share their data right away. We share it the minute we collect it because we want everyone to help. We can't wait to turn the corner and go, what in the world is that? And then immediately uh, reach off the ship and call some, wake them up. They're in bed. Say, turn on your laptop. That's how Ballard's team identified that massive ship we saw earlier at the bottom of the Gulf. Yeah, what the heck is it? It's a, it looks like a naval vessel. You saw it work in a matter of minutes. We don't know what it is, and the archaeologists and the maritime history, they don't know what it is, and then people start coming in on the web and saying, you know, it's a Spruance-class destroyer. It was an American warship, the USS Peterson. One of the sailors who served on her gave us this footage of the night 14 Tomahawk missiles were launched from her deck into Baghdad in 1993, retaliation for an Iraqi plan to assassinate former president George H.W. Bush. And just as Ballard suspected, the ship was sunk intentionally. We got this video from the U.S. Navy, which shows them testing a new firefighting system aboard the Peterson 11 years ago. The Navy told us they sank her right afterwards, but they didn't share that information. And those archaeologists in the U.S. government who had turned to Bob Ballard had no idea the USS Peterson was down there. So that's one mystery solved. Yep. Chalk that one up. Next. And there'll be more. There'll always be more. That's what's the fun of it. Can't wait for the next mystery. For a look at how 60 Minutes reports its stories, as well as interviews with correspondents and producers, go to 60MinutesOvertime.com. Sponsored by Lyrica. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. Tomorrow, be sure to watch CBS This Morning and the CBS Evening News. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go with the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.